in the credits then. <laughs> you were the inspiration. And on that note, welcome. Uh, welcome. Did you just call people. it the game of love? Game yeah, of love. I call it game of oh, I can't tell you. Like, welcome. Game of love is what I heard. That's welcome to Game of Bones, everyone. Uh, yeah, we're closer to Halloween than we were before. Thank you for listening this week. <laughs> we are closer to Halloween, which That's means true. one week closer to dressing up as Brienne. Isn't that what I was tasked with? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, can I just say something? By popular demand, we have a number of emails that come our way uh, sometimes. Mm. Uh, people that are new listeners that are having trouble discerning our voices from one another. So just oh. for everyone listening, just to clear it up, uh, my name is Kate. I'm Kate. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you for listening. I'm Hot Pie. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you are. No one else has oh names, God, apparently. Thank you. Your name is not Kate. My name is Kate. Okay. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad we cleared, <laughs> cleared that up. <laughs> the rest of you guys are interchangeable. It's Kate and generalized men. <laughs> as far as I know, there's like 25 of you. It's, it's all Actually, it's, it's just me and Kate, and I do different voices. You ready to hear my Eric voice? Yes. Hey guys, Theon rocks. <laughs> wow. Here's my Micah voice. What's up, guys? How you doing? <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> what I'm actually impressed with is that you guys jumped on that bit so fast. Yeah. You guys were instantly on board. Pretty sharp. Sharp and we've had, sharp. We've had and some tools. time together. No, that's uh, that's Mike and Eric. Uh, uh, we're all best friends with each other. Thanks for listening. That's it. We're done. <laughs> oh, and sometimes we read books. This week, a special treat. We have. An incredibly long and and cold and frozen Jon Snow chapter. So. Drone Snow. We have a Jon Snow <laughs> chapter and a Sansa Stark chapter. And I actually did a little Google image search, and it wasn't on the first page. It was on the second page. Well There's done. this cake hey. of Jon Snow. You know, the second page of Google really does yield some still relevant and sometimes quirky results. Huh. Yeah. Don't always go with the first page. This has been... Your PSA. So, John, John Snow. John. Let's talk, let's talk some snow, some drone snow. <laughs> this chapter was large, but I think it was appropriate that it was large because this chapter spent quite a lot of time demonstrating the scope of the wildling army and scope is massive. Yes. This is, this is like the, the establishing shot of a giant army that's miles and miles long mm-hmm. in text form. And he does a really, really good job of making you understand not only how massive the army itself is, but how massive the actual participants are. We've <laughs> yeah. got descriptions of these giants that are just like the, even the mammoths that they're riding, they turn their head and their tusks go over Jon Snow's head. So like, you know that the bottom of the tusk is taller than Jon and then there's a giant riding on top of that. Like that, just like the massive, the the scope of that is is so well described. You can absolutely get a mental picture of it. And I feel like I'm properly worried for the seven kingdoms now i mean yeah. I, I was during the show when they were talking about just the sheer number true and i knew i knew that there were giants and things and i knew that there were other disciplines and different kinds of people from different regions of the north that brought their own threats to uh the air quotes civilized cultures of people that get their bodies fitted for dresses of which mm-hmm. we'll find out more later <laughs> but in this chapter serious fear uh, has gripped me because I know that there's a lot of untrained people, but I think that Faramir's six kids uh, to have, he has the respect of his mount and of also the beasts that follow his mount. So he has the respect of more than just the beast he rides. 
just people mm-hmm. like that decorating their army. It's a uh, pretty good job, man. It's a pretty good job. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he describes these, these just like in vague terms, he gives you these specifics, these, uh, the giants and the actual people who are like lieutenants in, in this wildling army that have names. But then he gives you these vague descriptions of, dudes who are riding in chariots made of walrus bones that are like being drawn by dogs he's just like here are the here's the crazy stuff and then here's like the real weird fringe stuff that we don't even know that much about we only see them every once in yeah, a while george is like i don't even know much about these people they're, <laughs> they're crazy. these people from the, look they come from the way way north they come from the yeah. way way northwest yeah areas where people should probably not be living or be able to survive right. why not who who would voluntarily <laughs> live amongst the frost banks. Santa. You know, this is so obviously Santa. 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 Yeah. Well, I, I just think that what I mean to say is that they're that much more hardened because of it. You know, if you uh-huh. can survive in a place where there's there's pretty much no game either, no, you know, nobody for you to hunt. I mean, you wonder why some of these other northernly clans turn to cannibalism, but mm-hmm. I mean, there's not much. Sense. That can survive up there in frigid temperatures. It's um, true. I would imagine. Yeah. Why, but why even, so, why even leave then? You know, that, that was one of the questions I had is because these, these groups of people, they, they might even be safe for lack of a better term, uh, from the White Walkers, right? Because the White Walkers mm-hmm. are supposedly headed south. So if you have these groupings of people that are already accustomed to living in the brutal cold and, they're able to find a way to sustain. Why even join up with Mance Raider? What's the value? Well, that I think is something that this chapter underscores really well, which mm-hmm. is it's Mance's own persuasive skills uh, that have caused these people to leave their comfort zone. Every single one of them. Uh, there's a line in here about him. You know, he swayed some people with song and others with the edge of his sword. Uh, yeah. It's it's like he found common ground. And in the show, it's oversimplified. I feel in the show, he's like, well, he told. What did he say to John? He says, I told them that they were all coming for us or whatever and then he got them all to unite because the common enemy they shared is the white walkers michael what you're saying is that if they just stayed put the white walkers wouldn't have been able to bother them because they're pretty secure or whatever but i think that ultimately south there there is something there is some some ultimatum or some alter alternate uh reason for them to be going south i don't know what it is i mean you might think that they'd find it to be too warm too because they're used to, for generations, thousands and thousands of years, they've lived up north. They may not, I don't think they're going there for the warmer weather. Isn't the implication that the men south of the wall have forced the free folk to, to live north of the wall and never come out? Like they, it's sort of like a prison. So they're like, we want to take back the lands where we're related to the first men. We should be able to live in, in this world that's abundant. So it's it's a claim to land. I, I Yeah, I feel like that would affect the people closest to the wall on the north side of it. You know, like, but like people who live in the way, way north, like the Frostfangs probably weren't displaced from south of the wall. Although, I mean, they there are some people who could see it like as a birthright. I, I think, Eric, you, you answered the question really when you said how Mance was able to persuade them. Somewhat song and somewhat sword, and it doesn't really matter at the end of the day if they really wanted to go or not. It seemed like Mance is a very persuasive person, so he was able to rally them to his cause. So yeah, but I, I know you bring up a good point though too, which is that if the White Walkers are heading south, why are the wildlings moving south too? Why don't they just 
Joe, but it, you know, at least in this chapter, maybe the answer is that they too fear the uh, wild White Walkers and want to somehow find a way to put a stop to them. Because, I mean, I know at the end of uh, this chapter, when they come upon the remains of some of the Night's Watch garrisons, that, you know, they seem to, they double their patrols. They have to stay on the lookout for the White Walkers. They do not want to encounter the White Walkers, even with as many numbers as they have. They're a little spooked, or at least on their guard for where that army is. And I think that may give a clue as to why, you know, because ultimately they need to, st- I don't know, it's their problem as much, it's everybody's problem. The White Walkers are everybody's problem. Yeah, the White Walkers can't get south, theoretically, any any different way from the Wildlings. And they are just kind of like the White Walkers are coming more often is what it seems like. They're attacking more often. So the the wildlings may just be sick of that. They're like they're they're just preying on us. If we can get through the wall and disperse, then there will be more people for the White Walkers to fuck with that right. aren't us. It's probably a lot like the different motivations that Mance used uh, to unite these people. I think that they probably have a, a good handful of reasons between you know all of the split parties. I think that one of one of the, the strongest to me was when the song was started between uh, Tormund and Egret. And they were oh, yelling, yeah. or they were they were all singing, and eventually the entire war band started striking the song together, mm-hmm. and it was just a big chanting mess of these awesome people cloaked in mm-hmm. inverted sheepskin. And the song is essentially uh, about the small folk usurping or superseding the giants. Uh, and I'm assuming that even even to them, that that's an older disgust that they're now just having to work in, sort of almost like the Native Americans, where it's like, well. You know, the, the newer cultures kind of have a stronger claim and they have like more recent complaints. But really, if you if you track back even mm-hmm. centuries earlier, there are there are different problems and, and uh, it all kind of stems from the same thing. But in this case, even the giants are, are rolling with them. So I think that that kind of just paints a broad context of of being united and just a general disgust for people that are turning their nose up at them. Yeah. And Igreet definitely has that sense of empathy when she's crying at the end of singing the song about the giants Mm -hmm. being lost. Yeah. Um, There's the free folk. They ride with who they want. They follow who they want. They don't have a leader in any official capacity, but there is a sympathy that exists between the different races. So although they are kind of like all in it for themselves, I think that their concern extends to others as well. There is there is that kind of like we we all need to protect each other because we're going to get wiped out. And I think men. that George does. I think that's like obviously what he's intending in writing all of this too is that we're there's a lot that is appealing uh, in these chapters to the the wild folk. I mean, John struggles this whole chapter with chastity, and that's something that none of these guys have any regard for. Like they <laughs> they just don't care. Like it's not an issue for them. Like John is having to. Uh, sleep with his wolf to, to kind of rebuff and, and get out of, um, making moves on, on, well, protecting Egret's honor, I guess is what he would say. But it's, it's like when Tormund confronts him, he doesn't get it. And a lot of these issues that we're seeing that John have with the vows that he took and stuff just doesn't exist up north of the wall. I mean, you, when, when Egret, uh, chooses to ride with him, for instance, and we know that she, she just wants to follow him, but she's allowed to. She's just like a free woman goes where she wants. And, 
then it's not this huge issue. Whereas in the Night's Watch, you know, John is stationed where he's stationed. He can't abandon his brothers on one side of the mountain because he wants to go to the safer side or anything like that. Like he can't do any of the stuff that the free folk can do. And I think there's something very romantic. There's something very appealing about the, how the free folk, how free the free folk actually are. Yeah. Oh, they're free. I think, mm-hmm. yeah, they're, <laughs> it's, it's, a theme throughout this chapter. And I think you really see that in Tormund and the stories that he tells and <laughs> the relationship oh, yeah. he has with Mag the Mighty. That he's just throwing jokes oh, around yeah. with a giant and they're, they're having a grand old time. And we have to read that, Mike. We will we have, have to, to read that. I love how there are giants though. And then like there are the giants that John to. thinks he knows from Nan's stories. And then there are these giants mm-hmm. who are like more like bears. And they're not even wearing any clothing. They're just covered in hair, head to toe. And their arms are long and their feet are thick. Well, so was Tormund, but that's part of his story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is part of his story. Should we read this? What's the... Yeah, oh, well, yes. I was just going to say, not just him. And, and we can read his story in a second. Um, but it's also, uh, you know, Rattle Shirt. It's also Egrit. It's also Varamir. All these characters, you, you, you really have them developed in this particular chapter. Like, you get insight into who they are from a personality standpoint. Some are good, some are not good. Um, and even Mance towards the end of the chapter, uh, mm-hmm. you see why people respect him and why he uh, comes across as being such a strong leader in the positions that he takes uh, with John. So clearly here, uh, the, the, the king or the leader of, of, of the giants is riding by on his, clearly the king or the leader of the mammoths. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, so John turns to... Uh, Tormund and asks him, what did you say to him? Was that the old tongue? And he responds by saying, I, I asked him if that was his father he was forking. They look so much alike, except that his father had a better smell. I kind of made him like half pirate. I don't know why. No, he's good. That's good. That's good. I liked it. Pirates That's are good. free, folk. And what yeah. did he say to you? Uh, Tormund Thunderfist cracked a gap-toothed smile. He asked me if that was my daughter right in there beside me <laughs> with her smooth pink cheeks. <laughs> it may be he never saw a man without a beard before. I like how John just like does not react. Yeah. He's like, ah, I'm not going to take issue with that. John and Tormund was my favorite part of this chapter. And there was so yeah. much to love. I, I mean, it was lengthy and it did go on, but at the same time, uh, yeah. just, you know, like, first off, just seeing the joke get bellowed at him and sort of getting barked back. And this, this whole time you're seeing the chapter through, I think, a, a really kind of, you can tell George is in a good mood when he wrote this. There's, either, there, there's a few asides. Drunk, there's some, to be honest there's a few, par- yeah, right? There's a few parentheticals. There might be one. I might be, uh, right. there's definitely at least one parenthetical. And, and he's just having a good time with it because John is very like wondery eyed while seeing all this happen. And he's himself in a, I think in a great mood, which is kind of strange because we know what mission he's on from the half hand, but he is just in awe and he really likes Tormund and he likes riding with him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was a little disturbed by Tormund's completely fabricated story <laughs> about kidnapping and raping a woman (laughs) who turned out to be a bear that he like tore the skin off of because he thought it was her her jacket essentially and then how like later there's these half tormented half bears 
yeah. little man bears running around. Well, that's one of his names from the previous chapter when he gets introduced. I, listen, father I of understand. bears. Yeah, I understand that. That's, but it has to be true. It's his name. It's. Mm, I don't think so. He he goes through all of the these names that he has, and and he's like, this these are bullshit, but they're my names. <laughs> yep. So. What are you gonna do? Do you believe the story about Giants Bane then, or Giants Babe? Giants he's, Babe. Yeah. <laughs> he's the one who says it was made up. Well, he says he didn't kill the giant, but that's because he developed a I love affection that. for her. No, he, he he put in a few qualifiers there. He was like, "Well, uh, it makes you believe the rest of the story just a little bit more because he like gave up. He was just like, "Well." Technically, I didn't kill, but it has. He goes, Giants Bane has a better ring than Giants he, Babe, and that's he the had truth. A little of it. bit of Robin Aaron syndrome. <laughs> well, he says this to John, and this is the point where I was reading, and I just lost it. He says, "There's times I still miss the taste of Giants Milk, though." <laughs> it's like such a re- like because he essentially survived survived this this terrible storm, um, though not the worst storm he would face by. Living inside a giant who then took him to be your kid. I mean, this is, this is just weird shit, but you don't know enough <laughs> about the North to know that it couldn't possibly happen. Right. So I'm like, well, okay. It's- I think you're just, you're like intended to believe that nothing he's saying nothing. is true. Like yeah. it's all bullshit. He says that the bear bit off half his dick. Yeah. And then when John was like, but if you found the bear again, why, you, what'd you do? You don't have any you more you dick. You have half a dick. No and he's like, left. ah, my half dick is twice as big as yours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that makes like, sense. It's just, like, I think that's like the perfect punctuation mark to all of this bullshit. Like, it's just yeah. like, okay, clearly you're, you're super full of it. You're entertaining. It's, it, isn't it the Lord of Bones later who's like, I'm going to prick you with this sword and watch you deflate all that air shoots out of you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> the best part about all this though is that. Could you imagine this conversation happening in King's Landing or exactly. or Winterfell? No, and that's mm-hmm. the best part of it is that these yep. are free folk. And the fact that you yeah. have somebody like Tormund tossing jabs back and forth with a giant and they're not ripping each other's heads off. Like imagine Jamie or you know, anybody else walking side by side with a giant. <laughs> it's just not gonna happen. Braun, Tormund Giants Bane. Oh wow. <laughs> and Dollars Ed walk into a bar. <laughs> I would pay to sit in that bar for the night and drink. They walk into the end at the crossbow, or cross, cross, crossbows. Um, oh God! But mirth then what happened? Of Just co- mirth. Of course, then shit gets real because Tormund starts asking John about Egret. Yeah, man. Well, what do you think, Kate? Is she on the right track? Girl advice. Uh, Egret. Egret is like okay. John is probably the least insane person that Ygritte maybe has ever met in her entire life. Mm-hmm. He is not like trying to steal uh, her and rape her like mm-hmm. apparently the free folk like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's, I think he has respect for her battle prowess. He's just, he seems like a nice guy. And it's Jon Snow. Like, of course, everybody's in love with Jon Snow. Um, they're about the same age. It's it's good. It works. I think that Ygritte is on the right path. But it is interesting that she saves his life later in this chapter, basically. Essentially, she sh- she saves his life by lying about the fact that they've had sex, which they have not. Yes. Not but yet. but that that also, at the end, it works in her favor because it solidifies. Like, now he owes her something. Like, I think that's how she's able to finally break his honor. Like, to break him down into, into sleeping with her because he's not going to do it. I mean, they're actually, they sleep... 
together to stay warm, kind of, but there's a big old dire wolf in between them. I mean, yeah. we're meant to believe that that has actually happened, He's right? Fluffy. I, mean, I mean, come on. Yeah. yeah. And I don't, it's not that, I don't think John's trying to keep her away so much as he's trying to ward off his own temptation. He really, he really wants to give in to this girl's <laughs> seduction um, and that she just thinks it's a natural thing that they should, they should be having sex. And he's like, yep. Yep, that sounds right to me, but I've made all these vows and I probably shouldn't do that because I'm still a man of the, of the Night's Watch. And this is, this is in a lot of ways symbolic of his struggle about whether or not he's becoming one of these people or whether he admires them enough to, to adopt their culture. And, um, as we've seen in the show, he, he sort of straddles that line a lot yeah. because he does fall in love with the grit and he does have loyalty to these men. We spend so much time. Or we we have spent time, I should say, talking about uh, John and, and his lineage and whether or not Ned is really his father. But this is a moment, or at least in this chapter, right? I feel like the honor really shines through, like the loyalty factor, um, you mm-hmm. know, the the oath that he's sworn to the Night's Watch. And I don't know if it's more just youth um, and and some some you know um, a, a being a bit naive as opposed to being truly honorable. Uh, but I feel like that quality really kind of comes through in, in this, um, in this chapter, especially when he's having the conversation with Tormund and he's, he's so scared about possibly sleeping with Ygritte, um, that he talks about fathering a bastard. Yeah. That's something he really cares about that too. He does not want to, bring a child in the world who would be a bastard. And I feel like that's part of Catelyn's mistreat due to, due to Catelyn's mistreatment of him. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it has to be, he feels like a Stark. There are moments in this chapter, as you said, Micah, where he, he brings up like, I may not be, I may not have all their blood in my bones, but I, I still want to protect the North because it's my home kind of thing. But, but Tormund uh, responds, you know, by saying to John, you know, you're a bastard yourself or bastards weaker than other children, more sickly, right. more like to fail. And I feel like that's included there for a reason, especially because here we are dealing, the whole chapter is about, you know, somebody who is a bastard and we all know and, and hope that he goes on to do these really great things. And who knows, at the end of the day, he may not in fact be a bastard, but that's, I think, I think that's a story general- for another time. I think in general, too, there's this misunderstanding that Torment has and that any other wildling really would, too, possibly including Ygritte, which is um, he asks her, what fools uh, you kneelers be? What? Why did you steal the girl if you don't want her? And he said, steal? I never. And he says, you did. You slew the two she was with and carried her off. What do you call it? Um, so there's this like there's this expectation that John would complete his capture of her in this, in this indicated way. And that hasn't happened um, because of John's, you know, deferring views and his vow, but the wildlings all want it to happen. Tormund wants it to happen. I mean, he's just sitting as casually as he was talking to the giant. He's talking to John now about what he, uh, how he feels about a grit. And it's a good thing that Tormund is not in the tent at the end of the chapter, or that could have ruined Egret's lie. That's true. Although I, I kind of feel like Tormund would have kept his mouth shut the way mm-hmm. he's taken up for John. Oh, and uh, Orel was pecking at him. You know, oh, that like, I fucker feel like, Orel, man. I don't know. I feel like Tormund's kind of taking a shining to John too. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was done much different in the TV show. Obviously, it made sense there, um, but the fact that Arel is already dead, at least in human form, and is still coming back to haunt John, trying to rip his <laughs> eye out, uh, is that was quite a way to get his attention. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> he gets summoned by Mance because Mance finds the remains of the Night's Watch. They're set up. Um, there's a bunch of dead horses dead men everywhere and he can tell by the numbers of men that he sees that john was lying to him about how many men were waiting for them so mance is pissed yeah and he summons john he's like all right you have about 10 seconds to not tell me a lie right now or i'm gonna totally kill you and i don't even care so he he interviews john about other facts about who's at the wall who who was at this this slaughter who was commanding so he knows the old bear's dead he was commanding the wall now, and John tells him very honestly, he gives him answers to all these questions because he's and he keeps repeating to himself, This is what the half hand told me to do. This is my mission. I'm supposed to do whatever is asked of me and and go like deep cover in in the free folk. Yeah. Um, and so he's doing it. He's telling Mance all this information and and it's killing him. It's, it's ripping him apart. Mance is still not super sure. About old John, even after getting all this information, he's like, I really, he just doesn't feel like he trusts him. Um, and Rattleshirt wants to kill John for having lied about this kind of important fact about how many men were there. I want me some um, crow bones. Kind of important yeah, fact. And, yep. <laughs> and Igrit saves his life. She stands in front of John. She stands up to Rattleshirt. She's like, you can't get mad at him. Rattleshirt's like, he's still a crow. He's, he's going to betray us. And Igrit says he's not going to betray us because he and I are totally boning. Like every night, like four or five times a night. <laughs> All the time. And the wolf. We're Sometimes just, the wolf joins We're going to go bone right after this. this <laughs> the wolf does do. not join. Yeah, but uh, for Mance, I mean, it's he he's in a tough position. And I think John, you know, he, he thinks a number of times about actually taking out Mance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he, he feels basically if you cut the head off of the snake, right, or or whatever you want the monster to be, that's it, right? And and that's what's so scary about th- these this group of wildlings. Mance is the one unifier. And if you get rid of him, it's just mass chaos after that. None of these people are disciplined enough to follow anybody else. You know, they they may have these little I'll call them troop leaders, right? Your your Tormans and your Varamirs and your Lord of Boneses, but at the end of the day, if if Mance falls, everybody's going to disperse and go in their own separate direction because nobody's going to want to follow anybody else. That's a theory that John has, but I I don't know. I mean, they're already in motion though. They have, I mean, I I think that at this point, wouldn't their uh, momentum, you know, kind of not be, I mean, if they get into a big war, sure. But if, if John were to just kill Mance now in this tent, would they really turn back after how far they've come? I mean, we're talking about years of kind of, man's going around getting these people to head south from where they live what we learned about the way their host is working is that they're essentially sending most of their badasses or at least a strong handful of them on a constant perimeter scan just making sure that people are moving kind of you know barking orders in several languages to make sure that it all does stay together and i think that mance raiders brilliance and and just skill which john does point out in this chapter when he says uh, in in many different ways other than just being called a king mance is a king yeah just just knowing all of this about him i really do believe that no matter how far, far that they are 
knowing that what we do about their perimeter and knowing what we do again john talks about it in this chapter about their uh, lack of discipline even now with their uh, great intimidating numbers and and impressive people yada 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 still uh, it's going to take the unification underneath a, a banner if you if you will um, yeah. and i think that if he did die i think that they would still be together but i definitely think that the seven kingdoms united or even divided slash sort of united would have a really good chance at picking off these people that I'm sure would kill probably at least half of each other before all is said and done. Yeah, that no, that's a really good point. I mean, John says that, well, he expects the Night's Watch to still be alive at the fist, you know, which is, which is his first mistake. Um, cause it just turns out to not be the case, but he hypothesizes that they could set the North back a hundred years, that it would not, that they'd be, if they kind of put a dent in these, forward marching guys from up north that they could that it'd be a hundred years before they were real serious threat again. And that's a that's just by John's own estimation. And I think that speaks to how many people he sees walking, you know, on foot without horses mm-hmm. and how many and and his uh views of, you know, everybody's inner organization, which we get much later in in the show. Um, you know, when he kind of thinks it at at the last minute then when the battle's upon the wall. But uh but here we get it um gloriously well in advance and it really is intimidating yeah i mean friggin giants that are more like animals than humans i i don't know just the description of the giants got me and that was like in the very beginning of the chapter i've just grown to appreciate man's raider so much over the course of this chapter he's really and, cool. and, lo- and lots in the last chapter as well knowing what what he's done but and this is just a, a, a factoid and a featurette um, among part of what he is but he does speak the old tongue which is kind of cool and he sings in the old tongue. So just imagine this guy playing his lute and just showing off while he's the king of all of these crazy people. That's what he does. That's what he's doing. And yeah. when he's standing at the Fist of the First Men, when they make their way through uh, the defensive measures that you see um, the Men of the Night's Watch did, and they make it through the just disgusting, uh, what we've come to know visually from the show, the way the, the White Walkers decorate the dead bodies in a way that makes it known that no one else could have done this because they would have made use of either the things on them or their their meat for for staying alive or their or their hides for warmth etc uh once they make it through all of this and and John joins Mance uh, after being summoned by Rattleshirt uh he's just standing there with his slashed red cloak and i just after reading the whole chapter and it leading up to this i just feel like this dude was emanating power and i didn't even see him i was just like this guy has got his stuff together. I, I I thought it was very well done. And he's just observant. There's no supernatural aspect to Mance Raider, but he knows what John is thinking at all times. I mean, John is thinking about Mance is like coming towards him, asking who led here, and he stepped closer. And it says in the book, "One more step," thought John. Another foot. He moved his hand closer to Longclaw's hilt. If I hold my tongue, and then Mance says, "Reach up for that bastard sword, and I'll have your bastard head off before it clears the scabbard." I am fast losing patience with you, Crow. I mean, yeah. he just, he get, he cuts right to the heart of it and says, look, you gotta tell me now. And if you answer, if he says at one point, if you answer another one of my questions with a question, you're done. Like, yeah. it's just, dude, tell me, tell me this. I don't trust you anymore. John is clearly, clearly out of his league. Super so, hot water too. Yeah. W- yep. Which is why he, uh, which is why he, tells no lies because damn yeah. man man's is sharp he needs to stop underestimating people now it's a, it's a good thing i guess that there wasn't more tactical information that john 
could have divulged or like maybe they weren't asking as many questions as they could have asked John to get more information about sieging or seizing the um the wall but I guess that's all forthcoming. Well, Mance knows so much already. That's you know? true. Yeah. Knowing who's commanding cuz he told he tells Mance at when he asks who was in charge here and he eventually tells him Old Bear. Uh he just assumes Old Bear to be dead, which uh, I'm assuming, you know, again, the show handled things in a different way and I'm not sure right. um, what's going to happen in the book, but uh, so Mance then, you know, okay, well, who's leading back at the wall? And John tells him Bowen Marsh. So from there, Mance laughs and he goes, if so, our war is won. Bowen knows a deal more about counting swords than he's ever known about using them. So I feel like he's confident enough not even to have to worry. So yeah. his next, his next order, which is sending John and a small packet of force to climb the wall, uh, for scouting and et cetera that we don't know about yet. I feel like that he's confident enough that this is his next smart move. And to keep moving the army toward the wall because he knows that if there were 300 people and then he's counting the horses here and the horses they saw in the tree line just off, there were survivors and they hope to catch them before they reach mm-hmm. the wall. So it's just, it's cool. He's, he's, he's really smart and he's tactically putting this all together really well. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think he's a great tactician, especially towards the end of the chapter. Eric, can we refer to your cake to, to know what to do next? Yeah, they're both in a cake. Uh, so there's this cake that was posted on our social media, Twitter and Facebook, and uh, one half of it is Jon Snow, and the other half of it is this little redhead who's in a nice dress, and it's Sansa Stark. Is it a new gown? I'm not sure. It, it looks more <laughs> like a... Like an elaborate bathrobe or something. It looks more lovely than I've ever worn. That's true. My lady. That's true. This chapter makes me sad because <laughs> why? Because she clearly is absorbing the experiences that she's had. These terrible experiences with Joffrey and the Queen, and she is reflecting those experiences onto the young ladies of the court that she's meeting from uh, the Tyrell for army of ladies. And she's she's like meeting them, and and they're all this like giggly, Twitter pated. Mm-hmm. They're they're very much the songbird that she used to be, and she's she's reflecting on that too. She's like, ah, oh, I'm so she's envious of them because she she pities them and she envies them because they're so naive. And this entire chapter is her being <laughs> fucking naive still. Yeah, she and reverted so, back basically, did she? She yeah. has. She has. She's like she considers herself to have the, all of this terrible knowledge of court. But she's doing the same stuff she always does. She's trusting people too much. The queen is very suspiciously giving her a bunch of new clothes. She doesn't even think to second guess it. What has she learned? She has learned nothing. I, I choose I choose this kind of softer interpretation of this chapter for Sansa, and it's oh. only a couple pages. No, I'm just saying, like, I feel she is between places right now, right? She's not going to be the badass game player that we know her to become eventually, or at least, well, I think she's still making her way there in the show. But, uh, you know, she, she, she has had these traumatic experiences, and God, this is the first time that she can kind of afford to maybe let her guard down a little bit she's got this she's got marjorie tyrell who calls her sister now and they're mm-hmm. going in there they're running in the gardens and she you know for the first time she feels kind of looked after and protected by people who don't seem all that bad that doesn't mean they're not bad but at least for the love of god they're not decapitating family members in front of her and it's it's finally a, um, it's just a breather and i think that's why this chapter was so short too it's like it's meant to show us that, like, 
things are are kind of. I mean, obviously, nothing like exciting is happening, but it's it's still it's just a breather for Sansa. Like she needs this. Everybody needs this. You, there's always a longing. I think I feel anyway to go back to a time of innocence and a time of childhood. And I don't really blame her for taking a few days off and kind of doing that with these nice girls who are like cousins or whatever. And like they're playing kissing games and running through the forest. Like I don't, I just think that that, that level of innocence is something that you only have once and you should get it while you can. Yeah. I mean, you're right, Eric. You're definitely right. I mean, in a perfect world, uh, our friend Sansa Stark, the lady is having a great time, you know? And, and, and I, I, I will say that I was happy for her when she was out hawking, with Marjorie, yeah, does, does that not That's sound awesome. fun, guys? Awesome. They're like they they walk outside the city. Uh, they've got all of these grown men that are their full time job is to make sure that no one hurts these young girls, and so they're just like the sort of like the uh, I, I guess the equivalent. I'm not very good on pop culture, so are the Kardashians still cool? <laughs> Are they, Micah? I don't know the answer to this. You live in New York. That's the only reason I'm asking. <laughs> yeah, I live in New York. Uh, <laughs> sure. Okay. Well, listeners at home, insert a name. Like they're they're watching Taylor these girls, Swift. and it's I know she's she's got she's a career woman. They take a, a ferry across where a battle was just had not too long ago, and yeah. they're still smoldering wreckage. And they <laughs> go to to the Kingswood for their own personal day of hawking. They're you know cheering on uh, Peregrine Falcon. They're cheering on a hawk. Like, yes, I'm glad she's having this great, mirthful time. But Kate is exactly right. Like, it's a massive, massive step back in what's been going on. This is something Arya would never let slip her mind, no matter what kind of dress she was getting fitted for. She would <laughs> you know never, she she would never get fitted. fitted for a dress. Yeah. She, yeah, she wouldn't let but it if happen. if she had to get fitted for a dress, she'd sit through it and she'd get fitted. But the whole time, she'd be like, all right, what the shit is Cersei trying to make me do? I'm going right. to pay attention to stuff. Real close from now on, especially when it has to do with Cersei, that bitch. Yeah. I think the the interesting thing is that Sansa does her duty in a way by by warning Marjorie again about Joffrey, but but Marjorie is so convinced that it's not an issue, and I feel like that also helps to to get Sansa in the mood where she's more innocent and more naive and more complacent. And and the issue that Dantos brings up. Uh, later in the chapter to Sansa is that, uh, the Tyrells have their own agenda with her. And, and that's kind of the issue. That's kind of why they're being so nice to her. And she doesn't really see that yet. But I think what's, what's going on for her is, you know, she tried to warn Marjorie that Joffrey's a monster, but Marjorie says, don't worry about it. We're fine. And also Loras is in the Kingsguard. So he's awesome and we'll be protected and nothing bad could possibly happen. That's helping to let her guard down. That's helping to, I mean, she would, I think if she weren't, uh, if Marjorie was like, Oh yeah, tell me more. That's scary. Like Sansa would be in that head space where she could, you know, be more, more of a, like a good assistant to, to help. Marjorie deal with it, but because Marjorie's saying, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, go have fun with all these girls, like, and she's picking up needlework again, like, all this stuff is, like, because she's been told not to worry about it. Nobody's relying on her to to really be um this great tactician at this moment, and, and she appears to not be in much danger. The queen, who she thinks would want to kill her, is making her a dress. But they want her to be docile. That's that's what we're meant to see when when Dantos is speaking to her and does, and he's like, "Listen, 
remember your claim. Like, I feel like that's the juxtaposition within this chapter. Yeah. And, and again, that is why it's so short because it's, it's a snippet and it's meant to say something and it's meant to remind us and it's meant to remind her. And I think it, it did that. And I think that she has been reminded. And I think that we kind of leave the chapter sort of feeling that way, feeling a little, I, I know that I certainly did feeling a little cross toward Marjorie uh, even though I'm sure she has great intentions, she is a lot like the Queen of Thorns. Yeah, there there were a couple of things in this chapter that that stood out to me, even though it was a pretty short one. Um, there's the mention again of the fact that the Hound kissed her, uh, so yeah. she's continuously playing this back in her mind, and so you have to wonder how much of that night does she actually remember? How much of it that we experienced when we read A Clash of Kings? was actually real you know it's it's hard to tell at this point because from what we read that never happened he never in any way forced himself upon her but yet this is at least the second time right now that we're going through in a storm of swords and this has been mentioned yeah she's brought it up and then one other thing uh that's mentioned in here that i thought could be her ultimate undoing uh and i think was one of the reasons why this chapter was written and it really as you guys mentioned, has shown the the strong ties that have developed between Marjorie and Sansa. Sansa actually recalls that she told Ser Dantos that she was going to Highgarden to marry Willis mm-hmm. Tyrell. Now, we all know that there are people out there who have plans for Sansa that are tied to Dantos. So for mm-hmm. her to slip this information to him uh, probably was not the best plan. Oh. Yeah, it's like she's not acting wisely at all, despite all of her terrible experiences so far that should have taught her to be at least a little bit careful. But he's going to rescue her. He's going to save her and take her away. He's the actionable plan. Um, she just, she is such a, she is such an airhead. I'm sorry. Aww. I think that Sansa, listen, she's, she's like 13. I understand being a 13 year old girl is basically the worst for your sense of common sense. But, I think that she's going to grow up to be a really like badass player like her mom. I think she's going to end up being very smart. She's just learned a lot of hard lessons right now. And it's frustrating as yeah. this omnipotent viewer of everything that's going on. It's frustrating to see her not learn a lesson, even though it's so important that she learn a lesson. Don't run your mouth. Don't trust the queen. Don't expect that marrying a lord of Highgarden is actually going to solve all your problems. This is exactly where you were at the beginning of fucking Game of Thrones. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what Kate's trying to say, everyone who can't understand her <laughs> through her ceiling, she's saying, hawking good, telling Dantos stuff bad. <laughs> I, I have a great deal. Like I said, she's a little girl. They they treat these characters as though they are full-fledged adults and and you read about them and you're an adult and and so it's it's hard to remember sometimes how incredibly young they are um and i understand it but damn girl how many times you got to learn this when is it well, good? and i think the reason that she is being fitted for these clothes as we know from the show is that the queen is intending to betroth her to tyrion mm-hmm. uh, and that, that was my have guess a wedding right so she is, she's intending to marry the king's uncle, which means that she needs new clothes. And that's, that has, you know, that never crosses her mind. No, Something. she thinks it's because, uh, what, Cersei doesn't want her to look too shabby at Joffrey's wedding, right? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, again, maybe maybe Cersei just really wants Joffrey's wedding to go off without a hitch. <laughs> <laughs> She's micromanaging like yeah. everything. She has an unpleasant surprise. She's like, Sansa's clothes are too tight while we're at it. Get her done to it. No, I don't like her. Just don't make it look too good. <laughs> yeah. A little too big or something. Oh, but how about the seamstress who's like got 12 serving girls and they're all going to stop what they're doing to make Sansa's dress. That should be a hint, right? I guess. Yeah. That should yeah, be. Exactly. This is the yeah. saddest part is the last paragraph of this and she's talking you guys just mentioned um this that must be why Cersei is having it made for me so i will not look shabby at the wedding and then this par- this paragraph just like plummets your mood down into the fucking toilet and it says she really ought to have a different gown for the feast afterward but she supposed one of her old ones will do she did not want to risk any food or wine on the new one i must take it with me to high garden she wanted to look beautiful for willis tyrell even if Dantos was right, and it is Winterfell he wants and not me, he still may come to love me for myself. Sansa hugged herself tightly, Aww. wondering how long it would be before the gown was ready. She could scarcely wait to wear it. Okay, Aww. when you read come it, when you on. when you read it like that, I understand one hundred percent. I read it. I, I understand it one hundred percent. What you're saying, I get it. Ugh. Now well, I'm maybe, frustrated yeah. too. Fuck this chapter. <laughs> 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 there you have it. Sorry, George. Oh, jeez. Uh, no, this you. chapter is great. I, I, when I say that this chapter is frustrating and saddening to me, that's because it does such an incredible mm-hmm. job of illuminating to you how naive Sansa is and how how much she is still this little songbird, even though she thinks that she's she's got she's wise to Joffrey's tricks. And you know, she's like, oh, I don't know. She's so focused on when Joffrey is going to start abusing Marjorie. Because to her, I feel like maybe there's this sense that it's only the physical abuse that she suffered at Joffrey's hand that matters. And so the abuse, this like psychological abuse that she's suffered from the queen and from other people at court, it doesn't even seem to register to her as something that's unforgivable. But so, so much as as Joffrey, you know, beating her and stripping her naked in front of everybody and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wish her the best. Up. You know, me too. That's what she wants. She she wants to be out of this situation. I just wanna, I just wanna scoop her up. (laughs) Save her. Sansa, if you're listening, I don't care who knows it. I wish you the best. Sansa, email us. Send us an email. We'll come get you. Contact at (laughs) gameofbones.com. Take care. Thank you, Sansa. uh, This is my phone number, Eric. Please give it to her. Thank you. Five one. (laughs) Don't do it. (laughs) Let's own them all. Mansa's got it. He does. He just owns so many different people, right? Egret tries to step up and talk for John by saying what happened to his face. He basically said, "Did I ask you? You know, shut up." Mm. You know, he he owns John. You know, really throughout the the last part of the uh, the conversation, and then he owns even the Magna of Thin, right? When he's not happy that he has to take John along yeah. with him, he's like. He knows the watch and he knows the wall and he knows Castle Black better than any raider ever could. You'll find a use for him or you're a fool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's true. It's true. Have we come across someone this absolute? I mean, has George written a character that has had this strong of a personality without any two, you know, measurable flaws? I think that one measurable flaw in this chapter would be how easily he let John off when he found out that him and Ygritte were a thing when he was like, well, I can't interrupt that. And he sort of let it go just after that. Like, is that a measurable flaw in his part? But the rest is, I don't know. He's just, he's killing it. 
it's kind of unnatural for this series. Yeah. I, I For some reason, he really reveres that sexual bond between yeah, them. Yeah. Like, it's almost like they're they're basically married. He's like, oh, well, okay, well, Fine. you guys are in love, then. <laughs> yeah. So be it. Means. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what I caught. I, I feel like I caught one kind of, uh, and then there, and then everything else he was just destroying. So, yeah. Yes. He's, yeah. Uh, he's, he's just the man in this chapter. <laughs> well, yeah. if he's the man, Tormund's the, the baby. Uh, <laughs> if we're giving owns, I'm going to give mine to, to Tormund. He did the whole, oh, the old Tauntaun trick. Um, yep. <laughs> slice it open, crawl inside, stay warm. Um, oh, those innards. Not quite Hoth, but, uh, it's, it's still pretty bitter. So that's, that's my own. Um, even if it never happened, right, Kate? Even if it never, ever, ever happened. I think it happened. Let's hope it never happened. Oh. I believe him. <laughs> is, um, she gets my own because she's, uh, generally, I'm annoyed by Egret. Like the you know nothing Jon Snow is is a pretty infuriating uh, catchphrase. But in this chapter, she more or less saves his life from Rattleshirt wanting to to kill him. She lies for him, which she has no problem doing. And out of the whole deal, she gets what she's been wanting for a while, which is some of that Jon Snow deep. Yep. Yep. Go girl. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> which leaves oh. uh Zach. i don't even honestly uh there are it's just there's an abundance of owns i feel like i want to give it to mag because he he just came back i don't know if he actually said that back to Tormund, but if he did that was he just like oh who's that is that your daughter <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> about john (laughs) so i want to give it to him um because that's just that's that's something else because Tormund was like giving him shit for like you know you're you're a mammoth's ugly so are you buddy how you been i haven't seen you in a few days because i was riding somewhere else and he's like oh yeah well who's that 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 girl right there looks like a girl to me doesn't have a beard must be a girl so you get it (laughs) and he's got a cool name magmar tundo wig mag the mighty yeah Yeah. not so bad Not Not so bad. so bad He's a he's a good dude. Oh gosh, you know, Kate, you were hating on Dantos earlier, but I feel like he imparts upon Sansa some of his own advice, which is useful. He says, Wait, "When was I hating on Dantos?" I don't know. You just were. He says, oh, "I tell that- you, these Tyrells are only <laughs> Lannisters with You're flowers." You're making shit up now. No, you weren't. You did not like the Dantos. Quote You're me. like she should Quote not. Me. You said that Sansa should not be telling him this stuff. That's not Dantos's fault. That's that, not, I'm that is not Dantos. Dantos's fault. Is well, everything to do with that. his allegiance? Oh, it was yeah. Micah. Not, well, not Kate. I know our voices are very. I know very you're close so similar. I, you I know what, Micah? Ever since you introduced yourself as Kate at the beginning of the show, I, I <laughs> <laughs> I'm so confused. See, I've come to rely on the, our introductions oh of ourselves to learn who I'm speaking to hey, every episode. Man, do you you're think? Killing it. Do you think that was intentional or was that accidental? Eric's killing it. I don't know. He's <laughs> just killing it right now. Um, Eric so, gets my own this chapter. Eric, Eric, you can start your own over without fucking making accusations about shit I didn't say. I was like, hey. okay. Well, I know, I know that Kate's favorite ch- character ever is Dantos. <laughs> <laughs> Sir Dantos Hollard. Uh, and oh, I share that. Uh, She's got a tattoo. I share that, says I share that feeling with her. 
I on do. Lower it's band. like the heart shape. Yeah, it's my tramp stamp. My tramp stamp says Dantos. <laughs> I have one on the bottom of my foot that says Dantos. Ooh, that's a painful spot. It's only for me. Okay, Eric, for you're, you're, you're owning Dantos. Go, uh, please go. My own for Dantos. He gives Sansa some great advice. He says, I tell you, these Tyrells are only Lannisters with flowers. Mm. And uh, mm-hmm. that is, there really can't be better advice than that. It's, it's something <laughs> that she doesn't quite consider, but when I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, wait. Oh, snap. They, yeah. I mean, they're malicious. Like, he even goes so far as to tell Sansa what their plan is for her, that they want her claim to Winterfell. So I don't think Dantos does any wrong yet. And I know that, or you guys know that in the show, I was, like, really hoping that he would be, like, a stand-up guy in the end and not have, like, shitty motives. But um mm-hmm. I still want that for, for his book self. I still want him to be this good guy who has, like, this huge redemptive arc. So, mm. I mean, Sansa, Sansa saves his life, right? So he shouldn't betray that. That's true. But he owns for giving that. That's a great line. Um, making us think of the Tyrells, her benefactors, as being no better than the Lannisters. I'm going to give my own to Marjorie for knowing when Sansa brings up the deal. Uh, they're in the forest and they're kind of alone. And they're like, hey, um, our birds are killing a lot of stuff. And she's like, yeah, my bird killed more than yours, but you still have a good bird too. Sansa's like, and Joffrey's really bad. And she starts telling uh, Marjorie more bad stuff about Joffrey. And Marjorie's like, listen, it's cool. We made a deal that before the wedding stuff even happened, Loras was named one of the Kingsguard. Loras being inducted into the Kingsguard, she's like, I'm all right because he'll be close by. And uh, if any stuff goes down, you know, Joffrey's going to have uh, a badass knight to answer to. And it kind of reminds me a little bit uh, of what you were just saying, Eric, about how they're just uh, Lannisters with flowers. Like, uh, you know, we got a young up-and-coming knight being put into the Kingsguard. It sounds a little bit like someone that I knew before in another life. And uh, I think that it's kind of similar. And I think that they they are a lot like the Lannisters. I have a question just occurred to me. We, we sort of hinted at the fact that telling Sardantos this information was a bad idea. What if Sardantos is making up this shit about them being Lannisters, like as bad as the Lannisters, because he knows that if he can't get her on that ship, Peter Baelish is not going to pay him whatever bounty he has offered him to rescue Sansa. And so he's just telling her whatever lies he can make up to make her change her mind about wanting to go to High Garden. What if they're totally nice, wonderful, perfect people? (laughs) Who knows? What if it's all a lie? What if they're not like Lannisters at all? Well, (sighs) either way, own to Marjorie for having her ducks in a row and her badass brother. And there are a lot of ducks in the lake. We got ducks. We got hawks. I don't have any owns for this chapter. My own goes to Sansa's hawk because it killed three ducks. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And the only character. That's how easy it is to give owns on this. I like Kate did not really have an own for this chapter, but I'll give it. (laughs) I will give it to the silver hair net that Sir Dantos brings up, which has gotten yet another mention uh, prior to the purple wedding. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. He instructs her very, very, very strictly to wear it, as I told you. Which comes off as just really creepy when you don't know why. Mr. <laughs> Dantos is kind of, he's kind of creepy anyway, and he's kind of drunk, and he's just like, give me a kiss, little girl. Yeah. And here's a uh, silver hairnet. It's just, it's very like, oh, you're a little yeah. bit sketchy and creepy, Sir Dantos. So the fact that he's like insisting that she wear this gift, this very specific gift that he gave her to this wedding. And she's like, okay, I guess I will. Why? But you, I mean, you figure it out later, but it does paint him as just this, this creepy, like kind of pedo uncle. Listeners from uh, familiar with this show who have listened before know 
that after we get done doing our owns, we go to your owns. We segue on over. And uh, today, we have owns from Facebook and Twitter. Yay! Both. Yeah, nicely done, Eric. Yeah, well, uh, over on Facebook, we heard from Lonnie and Zavino, um, who gave us their own for both uh, John and Sansa chapters. The John chapter own, she says... Own for John 2 goes to Mag the Mighty for asking Tormund yes! if John was his daughter. Yeah. Yes. Thank Don't you. Don't you love it when the yes. listener owns, Zach, mirror your own owns? Uh-huh. Yeah, I do. I really do love it. Let's see if I love she, it a lot. Let's see if she agrees with you on, uh, on the Sansa chapter. Lana okay, says, Lana. Own for Sansa 2 is Tywin. Ooh, that's Ooh. unexpected. Poor Sansa is still naive as ever, despite her inner monologue of worry for Marguerite. Or Marjorie, if the own has to actually appear in the chapter and Tywin is disqualified, my own goes to the stable boy who gets an eyeful <laughs> helping her on the mount. You can own whatever you want. That's people, that's the truth. Ronnie. That's the truth. There are no rules in owning. I kind of have a self-imposed rule where I never give my own to the point of view chapter character, but you know that's just me. And I've none of my hosts, none of my co-hosts on this podcast have chosen to honor that 100 percent of the time. Like I have <laughs> black-eyed Lily over on Twitter, Susan Stacy, our friend, uh, ASOS uh, chapter 15. John Tormund owns all tall talker, giant's bane, and husband to bears. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Susan Stacy, and in Sansa, mm-hmm. Cersei owns Sansa through the age-old desire for a young girl, new clothes. Oh, Dobby is free. <laughs> This tweet comes from George R. R. Martin, um, who says, Game of Owns gets my own for both of these chapters because Aww. they are such the great podcast. Thanks, George. And hashtag, hashtag Sansa sucks. <laughs> <laughs> we, we always love when, when he writes in. Here's a tweet from Miranda Gwynn. She says, all right, Game of Owns, you're running a half marathon with me tomorrow in San Francisco. Let's both bring our A game, shall we? Thumbs up emoji. Uh, Get a camel. A cow, or ca- there's a camel emoji and uh, a goat or a cow emoji. So uh, I hope that you survived, su- succeeded, and uh, hydrated. Miranda, thank you for writing. Yeah, marathon. Thank you for listening to us on your marathon. That's awesome. Got a got an own here from our good friend Jeff Lightfoot. Right? Yeah! Yeah, yeah chair yeah. of the Social Studies Department! I'm throwing it. Uh, professor Lightfoot, right? Isn't it? Yeah. To you. Dr. D- Lightfoot. Dr. Lightfoot. Sir or professor, please. Mm-hmm. Uh, the good professor says, John Own goes to Egret. <laughs> she is one of the few characters who plays no games, and you don't have to wonder what she is really up to. Quote, mm-hmm. I never said when we started, dot, 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 find another place for ghosts to sleep tonight, John Snow. Mm-hmm. I never said when we started, but I said when we gonna finish. (laughs) Just just as Kate just did the hashtag Rose Leslie accent. So uh, that's my perfect Rose Leslie. My favorite teacher. Teach me your ways. And of course, Ram Dent uh, gave us his own uh, for the Jon Snow chapter. Owned to Tormund for being the funniest character in the series and betting a bear. (laughs) <laughs> and own nice, to everyone yes. in King's Landing for creeping on Sansa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's, she's the object of everyone's game. Inappropriate uh, Ram own to you for playing that broken symbol in your Twitter bio page. Yeah, a piece of it like fell off. That's crazy. It's because he's such yeah. a badass drummer. <laughs> he has the strength of a thousand giants and shattered it with only one smack. 
<laughs> Here's one from Nicole. She says, Own for John and Sansa goes to Uncle Ray for the freaking giants in that amazing foreshadowing to the Red Wedding. You've heard from Facebook. You've heard from Twitter. Now here from our email inbox. It talks now? It talks. Ah. And it takes on the voice of Erica Furman, who sent in for the John chapter. I give my own to Egret. She has John having so many stirrings. He has to keep repeating his <laughs> vows to himself. Yeah, girl. Not bad. Mm-hmm. All right. As for the Sansa chapter, Marjorie got my own for being on her game when it comes to Joffrey. She says, quote, I shall have the finest knight in the Seven Kingdoms protecting me night and day uh. as Prince Amon protected Neris. So our little lion had best behave, hadn't he? And quote, she knows what it's like. Or she knows what he's like, and she isn't going to let him treat her as badly as he did Sansa. Keep up the greatness that is your podcast. We try, Erica. We try. Our last email comes from Simon Amundsen, who I believe has written us every week for several weeks now. Thank you, Simon. He says, my own for John 2 goes to Varamir Sixkins and his snow bear, shadow cat, and three wolves. Yes. Another warg. By just being in his presence, he made the terrified John quake in his boots. Hashtag the free folk. Hashtag we do not kneel. Thank you, Simon. I also own to you for hashtagging in your emails. I actually like that. That's pretty <laughs> cool. Yeah, email. That's uh, You rarely see hashtags in emails. How can people get in touch with us, folks? Eric, you know how to do it, right? I do know how to do it. On Facebook, <laughs> simply go over to our Facebook page. There's a URL for it. It's called facebook.com slash gameofones. Or just search Game of Owns and we'll pop up. Our page will pop up. We currently have over 2,000 likes. Thank you for liking us on Facebook. And over on Twitter, twitter.com slash Game of Owns. That is the way to do it. At Reply Us, at Game of Owns on Twitter. We currently have like 5,000 followers on there. So that's awesome. Damn. Thank you for doing that. And email... Our us, the email inbox address is contact at gameofowns.com, and we currently have 128 spam emails. <laughs> so, <laughs> so thank you. We do read and appreciate each of those emails, so thank you for your continued communication, those of you playing at home. I also believe we're on the Instagram, right, for people who want we to are. follow us there, instagram.com slash guess guess. Uh, game I of bet it's game, game of Thrones. Oh, All we do is, is post yeah. pictures of Kate making faces at the camera, so go <laughs> like them up, people. I'm Kate. That is not true. There is another way you can get in touch with the show, and that is on iTunes, where we have 516 five-star ratings. Oh. Yes! Yay! Wow. Thank you, everyone. And 284 wow. customer reviews. So I guess you can rate. And not necessarily review, but we do encourage uh, that if you take the time to rate the show, you also leave us a review. Uh, we did get a great one here that I just want to share really quickly. It is from A hyphen Hall, so Arsenio Hall. Thank you so much. He was a listener of the show, um, big listener, with the appropriate title of his review being bone down yeah (laughs) after hearing i needed to check out this podcast the brothers befuddled episode was my first to say the least it definitely got me in the mood to bone down Mm. it's been a while (laughs) 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 oh my god your fault please continue your fault it's been a while since I read the books, uh, but they brought me right back to the chapters covered and got me thinking about specific scenes and interactions in a way I hadn't before. To go along with the great content, it's actually pretty hilarious. They have a solid dynamic. I'll definitely be listening to more. 
So uh, we thank you, Arsenio, for writing in. Thank you. Uh, but uh, really, iTunes is a is a great place for other people like a hall <laughs> to uh, <laughs> to find out about the show, and we appreciate that. After listening to just one episode, uh, they were willing to go on and leave us a review because it just yeah. helps spread the word that we're here. Uh, you know, in the forty-two weeks in between seasons, uh, that uh, you know we're able to provide you guys hopefully what you want to hear and take your feedback and you know communicate with all you fun people. So, uh, iTunes, it is the month of October still the month of Halloween, so nothing less than five stars is acceptable. Uh, send us your photos Please of your know. best uh, Game of Thrones-inspired Halloween costumes. If you dress up like uh, me, I will get you a retweet. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! Eric, dress up like sell you, Eric. Will you retweet me? Yeah, I'll retweet you. All right, then. So, it's the elusive uh, Eric Skull retweet. Can, can we officially say... So, going back to that iTunes review... Arsenio Hall decided that he wanted to bone down after listening to <laughs> yep. one single episode of our yep. podcast. So does that make us like, are we a scientifically proven aphrodisiac? Um, it is known. You know what happens at the end of the Prisoner of Azkaban credits? That's happening <laughs> all over the world. Uh, <laughs> all over the world for uh, people listening to our show. And if you're, if you're wondering interested. what Eric is talking about, <laughs> yeah. subscribe to us on Patreon. Oh, it's a perfect transition. Exactly. Oh, there's a beautiful oh, story. Yeah, well, I was about to make that transition. Micah told a beautiful story Since today. Since we're associating a numerical value, we've uh, officially poured in 9 million man hours into uh, Chapter 2. Yes. Uh, more will be poured into it. Uh, look forward to that this week. We're excited. And if you don't know what we're talking about, maybe you should head over to patreon.com slash goo and get involved because we make more than just this show for you. We make more. Trust us. It's amazing. Secret shows. This show, of course, will always be free. But if you want extra cool stuff, check us out on Patreon. That's true. And speaking of uh, free things, my excellent transition. Yeah. Yeah. You may remember last week uh, a little video of a bunch of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I do remember that video, Zach. I do. That was a bunch of stuff. That stuff was bunchy. Sorry, I've had a long, I've had a long weekend, uh, and it's been fun. But uh, it's going to become even more fun this week because we have a very fun opportunity to reach out and touch a lot of you, almost physically. I'm going to be mailing out a lot of things uh, with my hands here in the coming days uh, to all of you that listen. So refer to the link in the show notes to have a uh, a video proof of all these things. But our friends at HBO have been very very gracious and have sent over uh us just a broad selection of niceties all from the game of thrones universe and it's going to be a reward for those of you who just love this series who just love it so very much and that's all we ask from you is to write into us anywhere on watchers on the wall where we post our episodes and you can comment on our twitter account where we tweet stuff on our facebook wall in our email some of you may even have text message devices to us. Who knows? Anywhere you can communicate, tell us in however many words you would like. What is it that you love so much about this series? It can be specified to the book series. It can be specified to the TV series. It can be specified to particular people involved with either of those things. It is literally up to you. What we are doing with these things, we will tell you very soon. But in the meantime, prepare your Best, eloquent, succinct, beautiful words of thanks, because this show and series has brought all of us together, including the four of us you hear right now, which we do every week, and it has become a very, very enjoyable part of our lives. 
and hopefully a very enjoyable part of your lives as well. So think about it and participate because there's some pretty cool stuff that I'd love to keep all of it. Zach, should they use a particular hashtag or keyword so that we can find these posts that are contest entries? Glad that you mentioned that, Kate. We were thinking hashtag thank you, Game of Thrones. (laughs) That's good. There are a limited number of items, numerous they may be. They are limited. Mm. So think of your time and use it wisely. We will be we will be collecting and doing things over the next week and a half, but again, the the items are limited. So keep your eyes peeled to our social media accounts if you want more information. This podcast is just part of what we do, guys. If you like it, right. pay attention. Put a ring on it. Yeah, that too. Yeah. So in addition to sending in the, those stories, as Zach mentioned, uh, be sure to uh, do your homework as well. We don't require much <laughs> of you. Uh, we just give you a ton of stuff to do, obviously, uh, <laughs> before next week's show. Gosh. Uh, but uh, you know, read on with us in the uh, book, In a Storm of Swords. Next chapters are Arya and Samwell. And, Samwell. Uh, it's always good to visit with those two. You never know what they're up to. What's well, the uh, first time visiting Samwell? It's going to be. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I'm excited personally. I know that uh, Sam is a frequent guest, though infrequent recently, uh, <laughs> on the show. He's appeared many times, and uh, who knows? With uh, us finally getting inside of his mind, perhaps uh, we will uh, find a way to bring him back. Get your owns together uh, for those two chapters. You can. Send them to us any one of the ways Eric mentioned earlier, Twitter, Facebook, email. We look forward to uh, seeing you next week. Thank you, everyone. This has been very fun. Thank you. We'll see you all next week. So much fun. We're going to do it again next week. I'm Micah. Thank you. This joke is never going to get old. I'm Kate. (laughs) It is the world's best joke. I'm Zach. (laughs) You're very good at singing. No, don't make me be Eric. <laughs> That's the oh, best God. way to end it. That's the best I way to end it. I wake up every morning and I say those exact words. <laughs>